I think that's probably the most important role is to break the inherent silo that exists in an organization by bringing an increased decision-making and action. That's Roger Weary, PwC's Global Consulting and Deals Leader for Technology, Information, Communications, and Entertainment Industries. This is Heather Horn, and thanks for joining me for the next episode of our Forecast 2021 podcast mini-series. Today, I'm taking you on a non-linear journey as we talk about a company's growth agenda. And what's unique about today's discussion is the idea of making multiple growth moves at one time versus sequentially. There are six levers to this approach that we're going to explore today. So fasten your seatbelt because it's your chance to harness enduring change. So Roger, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about a topic that I think is becoming more and more top of mind for many CFOs and controllers. And that's really focused on return to growth. The economy has started to open up. Hopefully we're seeing some positive signs of change. But from your perspective, why are we talking about this right now? Growth has been one of the, I would call it a trifecta priority for leadership team and CFOs, right? So next to cost and risk management, growth has been always a priority. I think with the pandemic, I think the initial shock being absorbed, we have seen a need to, after taking care of employees and managing cost avoidance, uh, there is definitely a realization that growth needs to be back centrally to the agenda of a company. Obviously, as we say, we've never seen a way to shrink to greatness. So both for companies that are actually doing pretty well during this uh, last the la- these last 12 months, uh, there's a need to accelerate the growth or to prepare for potentially the next slowdown and to be very, very proactive and very deliberate about a holistic set of, of growth initiatives. So yes, growth, it is a priority uh, across the spectrum of companies and sectors. The starting point obviously will be different depending where you are and how much growth has been uh, under attack in the last 12 months. And then obviously, when we say growth, that's a huge topic and can go a lot of different directions. And so then when you think of growth and you're talking to different companies about growth, what would you say is sort of a focus or or how do you think about that? It's absolutely a very important precision here. The key point here is really focusing on what we believe there is every company has some headroom for growth that is reachable in fairly short order. Yes, we can always consider rechanging the strategy and so forth. But really what we're talking about here is the operational element of growth. And I would argue that uh, by having a very coordinated and again, very deliberate approach to growth, similar to what we actually see the cost side, when you have very large ad hoc cost takeout programs or what we're seeing during inorganic growth acquisition, the company comes together across function, across process area to have this highly coordinated approach to growth. And I think what we're advocating here, what we've seen working very well in terms of time to impact and overall level of impact is a highly coordinated uh, management of a entire portfolio growth initiative, not just one at a time or sequentially, right? It's really bringing together the power of all function aimed at improving growth. And they can go from obviously reorganizing or refocusing sales strategy and sales 
uh, coverage to redefining how product are brought to market and what kind of bundling we go with or what kind of revenue model. So it's really a, a number of business areas that are under, in the scope here to really achieve faster impact concurrently focusing on, on an entire portfolio growth initiatives versus one at a time. And then, Roger, as you take a step back and think about what type of company would be most apt to be able to follow the strategy again, recognizing that the impact of the pandemic on different types of industries has been quite different, what sort of company do you think is best suited to kind of listen to this approach that we're going to talk about? Well, obviously, we cannot have an approach that works for one type of company. I would say that most of what we're going to cover is applicable to a number of businesses, size-wise, sector-wise. I would say for companies that may have been vaporized, fundamentally disrupted in their business in the last 12 months, I would say probably more heavy surgery, strategy surgery required. <laughs> and those could be companies, unfortunately, in the hospitality industry or some of advertising industries and so forth. For the rest, the levers we will discuss today are probably applicable to a very broad spectrum of businesses. Okay. So then you mentioned kind of taking this concurrent strategy. And so I'm sure our listeners are wondering what we mean when we talk about that. So what are the different levers that you are seeing companies kind of pull when it comes to thinking about future growth? Yeah. So we can cover them briefly, maybe highlighting what I think is particularly uh, interesting and maybe often under-invested uh, in terms of levers. Knowing, again, I would repeat it, and I think if there's one takeaway of this conversation is don't do this sequentially and one at a time. I think the power and the impact, the compounding effect for enterprises to consider several of those initiatives at the same time, right? So we can obviously do one at a time and we'll get some impact, but I think there is a multiplier effect by doing all those things in a very concurrent and organized with a clear understanding of the dependency and so forth. So to answer your question, I would say the first one, I would say it's the hygiene lever is looking at the segmentation, understanding uh, how companies go to market from a sales strategy, sales operation, and really do the, I would say, the spring cleaning of customer data, market data. Very often, best-in-class companies tend to do that every year, rethinking what are the priority companies they want to target or segment of customers, what kind of data they will use to enhance the quality of that segmentation, and then appropriately allocate the resources We've seen in the last 12 months, again, a significant shift in terms of de-emphasizing some of the small business if you sell to them or intensify investment in healthcare or public sector, which tends to have a significant wallet to spend across a number of uh, industries. So I think that's what we're talking about here. The second one, which is probably one that deserves a lot of attention, it is profound and I think will be here for certainly the next several years is what I call the rethinking the revenue model, how an organization will make money. More and more customers, for instance, have expressed a preference to buy as they go, call it subscription or consumption model. And there's a natural and a significant trend to develop this kind of a revenue model. You've seen it in terms of now every business will not buy their data center, will not buy server, et cetera. That's happening on the core IT infrastructure. It's happening on the media 
for consumer where people will buy as they go subscription to various services. And I think that's this very profound realization that for B2B, for instance, there is an interest not to spend significant capex anymore. So if your company used to make money selling equipment or selling goods that are sold outright, I think there is a profound transformation now that needs to be considered and developed on how to develop end-to-end the right product, the right sales model, the right marketing, and more importantly, once the product is in the hands of the customer, the right success model to enable this model, uh, which is subscription-based, let's call it like that. So Roger, before you go on to the next um, few of these levers, let me ask you on these first two. So you talked about trying to do more segmentation, identify new revenue models. And I have two questions on that. I think the first of all is that if you're a company that has not historically focused on this in terms of segmentation and, and your models, where would you start? And then second part of that question is specific to what's the role of the CFO or the finance organization. But let's start with just more broadly as a company, where would you go with this if you haven't historically done this? The starting point and the action will be different across those levers. Now, if we pick the first two, uh, the first one is probably more the CFO will need to make sure and be a little bit the police that the right sales cost and sales resources and marketing resources are appropriately allocated. You know, maybe they can be the instigator of the rethinking, the segmentation, making sure we are focused on the right markets, the right countries, the right segment. And that uh, the sales operation leader has has updated data set and we have the right focus because things have dramatically changed. As I said, the most successful company have shifted very quickly and invested in alternative segment in different markets. So I would say the CFO there is probably the role of the convener or the policing of that uh, exercise. The second one is definitely the CFO has a central role there because obviously it is a scary transformation, scary journey as a successful move to a subscription model will create valuation from the market point of view, but may create short-term disruption in terms of the monthly revenue of bookings and a lot of changes across the spectrum, how product are defined, how revenue is recognized, uh, how sales commission to either salespeople or channel partner are paid. So the, the CFO there needs to be the core team lead to really engage product folks, to engage salespeople, uh, to make sure that that journey, which is a, a tricky journey, will can be successful. That's why we would recommend, unless there is dramatic urgency in light of a competitive move or what a hyperscaler can be doing to your business in a particular sector, to do this as an experiment at scale first and create an as-a-service or subscription unit in your business to make sure you learn and you develop the capability. But that movement is happening and it will continue. All right. I have more questions on the role of the CFO, but I know you said these six have to be kind of done concurrently with a few more questions. So what are some of the other okay. letters that people <laughs> should think about? We'll leave the suspense going for now. Yes, so there you go. <laughs> um, the, the third one, obviously, is probably a very well-known one, and it's probably easy to conceptualize, but it's actually quite hard to do at scale and end-to-end. It's really the business really needs to embrace digital capability end-to-end in the go-to-market aspect. If anything, uh, the pandemic we went through, we are going through, 
has elevated the digital transformation of marketing and sales. Just speak on those two and maybe customer success from a nice to have to a mission critical. Again, our recent survey has shown that many programs have been deprioritized or delayed, but anything to do with digital sales and digital marketing is seen as essential. You see some of the, the, the actors in this market are still doing very, very well because indeed the demand is there. And when you cannot send your sales rep to see a customer or when you cannot conduct event marketing or that suddenly digital and remote and virtual is the only way to maintain some face time with prospect and customer that becomes obviously essential and it can start in an easy part it could be a, a simple e-commerce platform and i think many companies believe quite frankly that once they have an e-commerce they can check the box even when you have an e-commerce site too often in 2021 we see that it's not intuitive it doesn't really mirror the expectation of a customer journey. It could be a partner, it could be an end customer. And so there's even work to be done at the basic of an e-commerce capability. So there's really the, a need to reinvent profoundly by customer audience how we're going to do business remotely with them. There's some benefit, right? You can bring the best of your organization to pretty much every major opportunity globally. Your system engineer or your expert in a particular domain suddenly are available a few clicks away. So I think there's definitely elements of positive, but element of profound change to create cost-effective, uh, low-touch sales and marketing digital in engine. That's obviously also happening once you sold the product. You've seen too many organizations trailing and still relying on traditional call centers where people may not be there. This is probably the, the most needed. I think it was on the roadmap for many enterprise and CFO. If anything, this made it from nice to have to mission critical, and this end-to-end -end digital in engagement has been accelerated by, by many years. Yeah, it's interesting, Roger, you say that because I think that inverse can be true as well. That someone who's someone who's doing this really well, even if it's, you know, you have glitches here and there, if you're open about it and you, you know, aren't open-ended about this gonna, you know, we're not sure when we can fix this, I think that actually can significantly improve your customer engagement and sort of I guess stickiness of the company and the interaction with the company. Many companies by now have confirmed that things will never go back to normal and uh, the success will be awarded to companies that, yes, they may still have down the road events in person. I think there's a desire for customer prospect community expert to connect, to congregate again, uh, <laughs> or they may have salespeople visiting an office. But the digital engagement is there, has been stepped up and accelerated. And for companies that don't have a credible marketing, they create awareness, create intent, selling, and then customer success on the back end, completely integrated with a, a 360 degree view of the customer experience by audience, by segment, uh, to have those journey maps completely clear, will probably be vulnerable in the future compared to companies that do that very well. Yeah, Roger, I actually read an article this morning that was talking about the road warriors and what was going to happen to them when maybe the customers don't want to have all these people coming to visit them and on site. And so it was coming from that angle, but I think also making the point that there's a profound yep. shift in how people are doing this. So, all right, let's keep going with your other lovers then. 
The fourth one is probably related to some of the things we discussed before, but it does require, and it's usually managed in isolation. So again, the argument here of this approach is to concurrently deal with that as we are defining and working on the other level is pricing. Very relevant to the CFO, as you know, pricing as set across industry. And then there are all kinds of, uh, I call it pricing leakage, right? So that uh, <laughs> pricing leakages are happening. And at the end of the day, what is pocketed by an en enterprise is very often very different and much lower than what we initially intended. Uh, with the change of to remote, with the change to subscription, we discussed with the entry into new segment, I think having a very clear, likely more a simpler view of pricing, more transparent for the customer is paramount. Uh, understanding where we may be spending money through programs, rebates, discount, understanding what happens dynamically if we change one of those parameters and do we see slowdown in demand? Do we see increase in profitability? So the ability to one, be very transparent on pricing, and two, to be able to adapt dynamically pricing to optimize demand, growth, share, or profitability, and be able to do that experimentation real-time at scale becomes a, a critical capability. And today, the tools exist to have this dynamic assessment, both on what you collect, what happens to prices, pricing experiment, and, and be able to use this as a source of dynamic insight and decision-making, right? The other one, which obviously is part of a broad movement that probably CFO have been the initial adopter is the stepping up automation. But frankly, even the most advanced leading edge companies that work a lot in the high tech sector, even though they are proposing some of the automation tool themselves internally, they, they, they are still behind. And I think automation has seen tremendous growth from uh, basic process, auto, business process automation to AI, but we're seeing relatively little or early adoption in the front office, which this conversation is focusing on. We believe that automating sales, marketing, customer service, not only has the same effect as it has when you automate finance or IT or HR, it also can increase the overall quality of customer experience. So not only you maybe achieve and eliminate some of the costly, low-value uh, human tasks, but also you increase predictability and return on experience, which is a, a fundamental concept. Um, the last one, and probably an important one as well, is around things that companies are offering, could be a service, can be a tangible product, and how we need to take the time to rethink uh, with engineer organization, with product management organization, what is being sold. The issue, and I think it's been aggravated again in the last 12 months, that company have a hard time retiring legacy product and services. With that, the complexity keep growing very, very progressively to a point where it's not even created differentiation, right? It, the complexity of legacy product uh, is creating a, an issue. Based on what I said before, uh, may prevent the creation of the right offering as a subscription model can create uh, a challenge to uh, selling online. If you have 
product that used to require a lot of hand-holding and, and sales rep coming on and explaining to you the nuances, this may not be adequate nowadays. People need to understand distinction. They need to see simplicity in the offering mix, clear differentiation, feature function being clearly highlighted. So I think there's definitely a, a significant homework to be done. This obviously has a benefit for the CFO to reduce the cost, the cost of a life cycle management of that complex legacy product mix as the benefit to focus on more novel, innovative type of product that have potentially more differentiation, more, more demand. So ultimately connecting the product and making sure you use the data is probably one of the single most important thing on, on this lever. So then, Roger, let me go back to where we were, which is the question I promised I was gonna, going to ask again, which is the role of the CFO in this. And I know you kind of hit on it in different places with the different levers, but from your experience, companies that are doing this well, is this being driven more from, say, the COO, or is it something the CEO and their team can be driving in terms of looking at some of these different levers and you know potential outcome if you shift focus in some of these areas? I think the CFO has a unique position in an organization to be, I would say, more of an operational CFO to be able to influence and bring at the table a cross-functional team, which you know, the reason why those levers are important and not intuitive and not natural, where they may require this, what I call the command center around revenue growth, is that there is too much of silo initiative on product, on pricing, on selling. The CFO has the benefit to convene and, and bring this kind of team to create an ad hoc governance with real-time data, real-time decision-making. And I think that's probably the most important role is to break the inherent silo that exists in an organization by bringing uh, an increased decision-making and action with obviously the funding based on outcome, right? To be able to quickly cut the initiative. And that's okay, right? If some experiment don't pan out, what's next, right? Instead of waiting for a year and seeing not much result because they have been run in isolation in a particular function. So it really elevates the CFO as the, the general convener of those growth-related initiatives, similarly to what they've done already now on integration, planning, and integra merger integration execution in the past, or as I said, large cost takeouts. Yeah, so I think this idea of the Revenue Command Center, I know it's something we talked about when we were doing our prep, I, it just seems like it makes sense because if you think of how companies approach major change, such as a deal or you know integrating an acquisition, that bringing all these different people together across the organization can help things happen very quickly. But on the other hand, it also can seem like it's just adding maybe more bureaucracy and especially when people are feeling stretched thin by the pandemic and you know all the change we're dealing with otherwise. So how do you think about this in terms of is it just one more layer or is it something that actually can really cut through perhaps barriers to making change? Heather, I don't think it's, we would recommend this to be forever uh, as an additional shadow leadership structure. Uh, but using, again, the deals, M&A, or uh, cost takeout, those are events that are imposed to the company. And therefore, because they are events, there is usually a governance set up in place and could be 
some time on the executive leadership team meeting, but there is something special enough but temporary that is being set in place to manage the data around the integration, the risk. You have data room, you have dedicated teams. What we're arguing here, you absolutely don't want to create a new bureaucracy, but to kind of defibrillate a company and making them back on the track of accelerated growth, we are advocating for creating the same temporary structure to catalyze, if you want, a more integrated view with end-to-end impact on growth like we've done on M&A. When things are back in track, things will go back to normal, but we, we do expect that to connect the dots and, and break the silo that we've seen in the past, right? So I think that's really what we're advocating. We're certainly not advocating a, a level of bureaucracy. And yes, the fact that people are not in the same room, don't literally have a, a war room concept with data on the board and so forth, like we do in the real world. But the good news is that virtual tools uh, with dashboard, with collaboration exist, and we can conduct this even in a in a virtual world. I'll ask you the same question two ways. You can choose how to answer, which is what are companies doing that you see who are doing this really well? Like what differentiates them? On the flip side, what are some of the obstacles to being able to do it well? The first obstacle is the siloness of the organization, especially on the revenue side, on the go-to-market side. You would be surprised sometimes how much gap there is between sales and marketing, which in 2021, with what I just described before, uh, marketing is not brochures and trade shows anymore, right? Marketing should be all about revenue marketing and should be highly connected to sales. Uh, You start seeing more and more the ownership of marketing falling into the same responsibility, for instance, the salesperson or the revenue officer. So I think definitely connecting the functions is probably the biggest obstacle. The second obstacle, I would say, is satisfaction with initial result, but not the desire or the drive to go further. As I mentioned before, in my example of digital enhancement, we have companies that have set up an e-commerce side. They say, check the box. We are an e-business. We are digital. But the e-commerce side may not be connected to the marketing engine, may not be connected to the customer service, may not deliver the most intuitive best experience for the various audiences could be a channel partner again could be an end customer yeah no, the, the final one i would say is data technology and consumption has created a unique opportunity for business but every customer interaction in this world virtual world is a nugget of value in terms of what a particular prospect channel partner and customer is doing how often how well how many drop what satisfaction they have what speed All that data you create is an enormous source within the boundary of privacy, obviously, but an inner source of insight that should enable companies to improve their digital engagement, increase the expertise, course correct some flaws in the product without relying on surveys and so forth. And surprisingly, only the best, and there are few companies that are really meaningfully using that influx of affordable data with the processing power to do today to do something with it. I think that that is quite surprising. And I think that's an obstacle that a big gap between best in class and, and the next tier of company, right? So that's helpful perspective. So then Roger, to wrap things up today, as you look ahead from your experience, you know, if we fast forward, let's say three years, hopefully, fingers crossed, pandemic is done and in our rear view mirror, what would we be talking about then in terms of 
operational levers to achieve growth? I think hopefully in three years, and indeed, nobody has a crystal ball, but um, <laughs> I think the a permanent enhanced end-to-end digital in- engagement with customers, and that by design, I choose very broad term, but it may mean different things for different businesses and different industry, but overall something which is intuitive, effective, and smart, i.e. brings the right information and remembers me knows me as a business or as a consumer based on what I've done in the past. So I think the general digital engagement from when I want to learn about something or when I want to get service, everything is connected. It's probably will see significant improvement enabled again by, and probably that's my central theme and that's my central wake up call, is by new data flow that an enterprise absolutely it's time to really think how how do I capture data? How do I turn data into insight, into ma- management decision? And the CFO has a key role there. The data may reside in customer service or in engineering, but that data is the new fuel for managing, I believe, uncertainty that will remain and volatility that will increase. So the way to beat uh, and balance supply and demand, understanding competitive move is really mobilizing data. And the good news now is it is affordable to capture, store, analyze through AI the right data in order to make the right insight. You start seeing some significant results, how much data is used to guide a salesperson in making the right choice, to guide a marketing campaign, to guide a pricing discount. All the levers I mentioned, there is a common theme is that this with the right digital arsenal and the right data can become better and better and can be a sustainable source of differentiation in order to be the competition. And too often, again, I think the in the next three years, to answer your question, things will be different. And for, unfortunately for companies that don't really push this, they will probably be increasingly irrelevant and disadvantaged compared to their competitors. Well, it's interesting when you talk about data, we're even using data to figure out what podcast topics to cover. And I guess our listeners could be the ones to weigh in and say if we're picking the right ones. But Roger, definitely a lot for companies to think about. And sounds like it's you're really saying it's time for us to go on offense and go off defense. So it should be exciting times ahead. So thank you. Welcome, Heather. Join me back here every Tuesday and Thursday for new podcast episodes. Next Tuesday, we're hitting a topic that often comes up this time of year. I'll be joined by Pat Durbin and Tom Barbieri to talk about accounting changes and preferability. There's a lot to talk about and we've got a great discussion planned. So please join me. And on Thursday, we'll have a new Forecast 2021 episode. So stay tuned for all of that coming your way next week. So that you never miss an episode of any of our audio content, subscribe to the PwC Accounting Podcast Series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.